This is SideQuest Completed, the Hoppiest Game Dead podcast with your hosts Calvin and JC, coming to you every Wednesday with encouragement and advice on making your game a reality. All right, so I guess let's jump right into the topic today. It's uh, code versus content. This is your idea, Calvin? I was going to say, I think this is my idea. Um, This is something I think about a lot um, in terms of what, not just in terms of them being different activities in the game making, uh, but also um, it really influences what kind of games you make or the among the different game ideas you have, a lot of times it might veer cl- more you know, code-heavy and content-heavy ideas. Um, so how you want to focus and how you want to work um, between these two can make a big impact on not just how you how you make your products, but also what game projects you take on in the first place. Exactly. I mean, I've seen many a, what valiantly hopeful, energetic game dev or game dev team get together and say, let's make a JRPG and then watch as their energy, enthusiasm, and will to live just disappear as they realize just how much content there is in making a JRPG or other similar games. So I mm-hmm. think you could choose for, which one you could use almost for a weekend game jam, for example. Yeah, and there's, um, you know, we both mostly have a tech background here. You have a pretty strong um, writing background too, so that obviously applies a lot to your to your games since you're making interactive fiction games. Oh, yeah. um, but there's definitely uh, a bit of a bias in that we we do still both have those strong tech backgrounds, and so we're speaking from that side of it. We should try to be balanced in how we you know um, talk about these two. But there's also people on the other side who um, come in either as writers or most often as artists wanting to make a game who have no coding experience um, and either struggle with that part or just do whatever works, you know, and make fantastic things because they don't care about the tech and wrestle over it. Like, like we often do. Um, So there, you know, there's a whole other perspective that we're going to miss out on. uh, So we should do our best to try to keep that in mind. So it's a kind of good excuse to have some more guests on the podcast. Absolutely. If, uh, (laughs) yeah, I'd love to talk to somebody who has that kind of, um, didn't code before making games background. Yeah. I'm sure you probably find a lot of twine games. That's T W I N E. A lot mm-hmm. of those came out of people with little, if any web dev experience, it being a web based engine, just JavaScript and still using their writing chops, poetry chops, art chops, what have you made very, very interesting games in this inside those creative constraints because the twine largely got out of the way. This has been learned a little bit tech-wise, but not like learning Unity from scratch. Sure. Then, uh, and yeah. I have a few games in my Steam library that I happen to know were made on things like RPG Maker. Um, there's, um, I can't remember the name of the studio, but the people who do uh, Nuclear Throne. Yeah. Um, that's all just you know made in Game Maker, um, where a lot of people make all of their, their games without even a single line of code. Um, and from a code background, we often... Or, I'm not, not we as in you and I, but we as in coders, a lot of times those options kind of get looked down on like they're less real or less, um, I don't know, mature or, you know, um, worthy of less respect. I can um, feel like, quote unquote, real game dev to just, yes. just, quote unquote, put things together. They are, however, more likely to actually finish their games than those of us with code backgrounds, I think. Um, less nerd sniping to reference the XKCD strip. Yes, yes. Uh, but that 
there's all that kind of back and forth, but I think that the me- the the intent of the topic was, I hope, let's talk more about on our own. You know, how are we balancing that time between the code we're working on and the content we're working on? Um, and I have a much different background in that than than you, even though we have similar backgrounds, because your your game is so much more content heavy than I think mine are right now. Yeah. Um, Every time you're talking about your update, you're not talking about code almost ever. You're always talking about writing. You're talking about working with artists, you know, things like that. So what kind of balance do you have right now um, in Anthrotari, uh between the time you spend working on code and on content? And I'm sure that's changed over, over time. So is did it start out more code heavy? Um, do you do a bunch of any coding right now? Or, or have you been strictly in a you know writing focus for how long uh, I'd, I'd be curious to hear oh yeah i have to go back way back in my memory embarrassingly long back to figure out what the balance was like early on would have been a lot of coding i want to say in the first couple months because there was so much ui work to do and the does some things differently ui wise than a lot of other visual novels that's just simulating a chat interface instead of just a floating dialogue box so that meant a lot of interesting gooey stuff and having to figure out Renpai's idea of GUI systems. I said it was a lot less trouble than it would have been to try and do that in Unity, even with plugins, because there is so much non-visual novel parts to that. I even took a stab at trying to re-implement it in Unity and decided it was not worth the trouble, primarily because that change of engines was getting in the way of delivering the actual story. And while I not have quite as polished of experience with Renpai versus how fancy I could get with Unity, this particular game, Avatari, is so content-heavy that being able to access and edit and polish the content takes precedent over pretty much everything else. I know even with the tools I was able to find with Unity involved enough of a change in the workflow for content editing, something would have been much messier and hard to convert, that I have no regrets about going back to the very built, purpose-built RenPy to actually deliver it. In terms of since then, so much more content part, the editing part, because there's just so much more content once I got the basic GUI stuff down, like thousands and thousands of lines. So much content. So much content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been, like, lately, it's been a lot of just adding animation to the game to give the characters necessary emotes to convey their emotion. And that is really just more content animation on top of everything else. So it's been a lot of content for a while. Ooh, definitely miss having more of the coding part, the engineering part of that. But I guess I'll get a little bit of that later when it comes to polishing up the routes, making sure everything works there. Yeah, but this has been pretty much just all content editing for Avatar for some time. Ooh. And for a lot of games that that becomes the norm, I, I think, and more so than a lot of um, tech background game developers who are newer to making games realize, you know, when you're going into it, a lot of times you're yeah. thinking, I can code so I can make games. And the ratio for most games um, is far lumped towards content. And oh, yeah. um, one of the things I think about in terms of code versus content is, uh, like, like I said earlier, how it can influence the type of games that you make. So if you want to do more coding and you don't want to make le- uh, as much content because it's not the part that interests you or that you're skilled at, uh, you just want to do lots of game coding, what that 
might push you into is things like um, puzzle puzzle games, for example, are mm-hmm. more code than content a lot of times. Shorter games, um, you know, you're gonna have less narrative focus because narrative tell, telling stories is is the content. So you're gonna have um, more things about the systems and the mechanics than you are um, the the stories and the environments. Uh, so there's gonna be a heavy influence. You can definitely lean more to code or content as you wish if yeah. you're willing to change the projects that you then choose to take them. Um, I do that a lot. There's a lot of games that I have have not pursued because I do actually prefer... Well, I don't know if right, right now I prefer the game coding. That's what I, that's the edge I'm trying to scratch all the time, so that's currently the things that I'm building. Um, and there's other ideas that sometime if I decide I want to focus on, on content, I would make entirely different games than I am right now. Um, with my current projects where I'm going back and kind of finishing these unfinished games from the past, those are ones where I'm taking games I've already built most of the assets for, or in the previous one, Seed Magic, I had done all the graphics for. So whenever I redid that game, I didn't do any content work at all. I The entire project was just taking those existing assets and remaking the game from scratch um, code-wise. Uh, and that, because that's what I wanted to scratch the itch on. That's what I wanted yeah. to spend my time on is I wanted to spend a month just hacking on game code and making something fun to play. And uh, it was a way for me to do that and take the content side completely out of it. Yeah, that's one thing I love so much about Bitter Jam recently was that because you have the one fixed sprite sheet and a simple one of that, black and white, 8 by 8 sprites, images, Mm-hmm. But you focus so much more on the code because all of your asset stuff was all the content, quote unquote, visual content anyway, was pre-picked for you. And you could focus entirely on other content like level design. Not really story so much because you've got such a limited palette for describing that. And focus much more on the code part, on the gameplay, on making it crunchy and fun without getting too cut up on presentation. A lot of game jams are going to lean more on the the code side, right? There's, yeah. It's inherently something that at least when you're making a, a smaller game like a jam, is going to be no matter what. Um, you can iterate faster on on code than you can on content. Typically, um, it's easier to get kind of more mileage, I guess. Um, content is a little harder to make a piece of content that you can kind of recycle without it just being redundant. Whereas mechanics, every extra mechanic you make might combine with all the previous and you know, kind of have a multiplying effect. Um, content creation is a bit more linear. And so mm-hmm. maybe that's one reason why um, the variety of, you know, trying to make your game have some, some variety to it so that you can have some replayability so that you can uh, play it for more than a few minutes in a game jam setting the code is going to get you a lot more mileage than the time you can spend on content uh, in that same weekend. Right. Same time, if you've got a team going on, you might be able to find someone who can focus on the content part. And then your chief task is to make sure that they can express that content effectively, have good tools for adding editing content, and maybe focus on the level builder if you want to make a content-heavy game. Level builder, attraction builder, what have you. Yeah, the separation of roles. Like, I, for some reason, I I didn't even include that in my list of ways that content versus code applies. But that's yeah. obviously a big thing. Um, in the indie game space, there are there's a, a almost cliche of you know the idea guy who has some <laughs> yeah. game they want to make, but they can't code. They just, I just need someone to code it. Um, 
That's what I want to do. The hard part. I'll give him fifty percent split. I, I actually find that to be a weird trend. Not because those people are you know thinking somebody else can just code their whole game, but because there are also lots of of hobbyists and indie devs who really want to make games who do the code side and are not good at making the content. They're not artists. They're not writers. They can code, but they don't have the content to go along with it. And they actually are a good fit as a team. But for some reason, maybe it's part of that looking down on the non-code people. They think like, if these people aren't contributing code like I am, then it's uneven. It's not fair. They're trying to take advantage of my skills and they're getting off on just they're getting by with just writing um, the story or just doing some, some art. But it actually is a pairing that would benefit both sides a lot. Yeah. And it always kind of strikes me that I that you don't kind of see um, coders taking on other people's games because a lot of people do want to make games and don't really, you know, they're, they're fine ideas just because they want to make games rather than the other way around. Um, it would be a natural pairing if people could get over some of the uh, personal feeling about the, the balance between those two skills, um, about the relative value of those two skills. Um, we, we could see a, a lot of interesting pairings of, of any developers if they could get over that and yeah. pair up, I think. I know that. So I had thing right through my tongue. It ran away. But one thing to consider there. Oh, that's right. Dunning-Kruger effect. This is a perfect example of where the Dunning-Kruger effect can come into play, because it can be very easy for a developer, programmer, to underestimate just how much expertise and skill goes into media. I mean, I just I went to art school for a while before changing majors, and that did a lot to educate me on just how little artistic talent I had, or how limited attitude I had. And not like non-zero, I had at least a decent amount but it was clear not the direction for me, but it gave me a whole new perspective on how much good artists are accomplishing. It's like whenever we hear somebody on some troll on the internet say, oh, I could have added multiplayer to No Man's Sky in two to six weeks, and you just want to stab them. That it's is, just a Unity plugin. You can buy it on the asset store. Yeah, and what do you stop screaming into your pillow? Um, you go up and say, they wonder why artists are so expensive. So they want to charge so much for commission work and whatnot. It's like, because they also have a masterful skill set. They may have probably put in more practice on their art than you have programming in many cases. And this, I recommend any game dev, anyone who's primarily just programming, to take a stab at making music, at making art assets, whatnot, enough that you can really appreciate who's doing amazing work. And that also makes it a lot easier for you to communicate with them as well to tell them what they want. If you have not just a notion of what it should be, but can speak their own terminology, will make you a better project manager. Because as soon as you bring some other person onto it, you become a project manager. Even though you are already one to many degree, just even if it's a team of one, it's still a project being managed. So more you can do to build out your skill set, and at the very least, just enough to know what you're talking about without looking like a fool to people you want to work with, the better the results are going to be. This reminds me of, I don't know if this came across some of your circles, but last over the last week there was a conversation going around sparked by a Vice article um, 
the original headline was how we assign credit in solo game development, but they yeah. promoted it and on Twitter as if someone's using assets from the asset store, can you really call them a solo developer? Um, and obviously they tried to be a little, um, yeah, to make size to get you to click with that non-headline. But um, the word for those headlines, the leading question headlines. Yeah, um, but it did it did pull a lot of conversations out of people about the way that they um, that they assign value to the the different tasks. Um, also how where where the the work comes from you know like the difference between making content for a game versus making content and it being bought for a game yeah uh, versus being hired to make it for the game you know those other, and, and how that changes the meaning of, of of value and the credit given um and it was really interesting because none of these conversations um took the same top the, the same proposition and and turned it to code yeah. um because I mean, well okay well let me let me correct that there people made jokes of oh if you use an engine you're not a solo developer but the serious propositions were only about the content and the artists and you know the the models you buy off of the asset store and stuff like that whereas the you know it, using the the code as a similar example people were just kind of um assuming that was ironic not not serious yeah at least that's the perception that that i had so i think that that was an enlightening uh spark for a conversation uh and also a very frustrating couple of days to watch people discourse on arguments that about this yeah it was one of those things one of those eye-rolly things that just keep coming back up in in communities so you just kind of see it for a few days jumping back up every every day several times if somebody else catches wind of it and, and Ooh, says yeah. something Everyone has an opinion. Unfortunately. Yeah. Sometimes they're even informed opinions. No, really? Make, yeah. <laughs> you make a very good point. It's like, this is a very arbitrary distinction in the day. Like, did you write your own operating system? Were you hand-soldering the computer together? You have some degree of help from somebody elsewhere. I'll take this moment just to acknowledge like, sure. all the people working for me. Um, not, well, for me, I should say. Contract basis, uh, multiple co-authors. Uh, music talent, art talent, obviously. So I do tend to under-emphasize that much, but Avatari is a team effort first and foremost. Yeah, well, I I think that there's... I think... Okay, there was a lot of these arguments going back and forth, and it was very eye-rolly and frustrating where people are trying to figure out where to draw the line. That being said, I did try to figure out where to draw the line. Yeah. And I I think that it's a fair line to draw between where... Work is done, and I say work, not code or content, because this applies equally on on both sides. Yeah, where the work is done for a particular project, or where that work is done separate from the project, and then taken, borrowed, bought, licensed, whatever. Yeah, um, engines aren't made for your game. Um, sounds on OpenSound.org are not made for your game. Um, 3D, you know, 3D humanoid models on the asset store that you can reskin are not made for your game, but a monster concept art that is done for your marketing material or um, sprites for your characters that you, your freelancer did uh, based on your design, those are that is work done for your game, and that yeah. that distinction I think is what should be more important in this. This can kind of apply back to the whole thing about the relative value between 
code and content and because what regardless of what kind of work you're doing um whether that's writing a a code heavy um mechanic heavy game or doing a narrative story on rempi or twine or anything else that amount of work and the time spent for the game regardless of what pieces that's relying on that already existed is is the the same value um especially when it's it's still a especially when it's a personal project and you're pouring yourself and your time into that regardless of where you can pour that time into yeah and like a very important point too that the being quote-unquote true indie is has no material value after all people who enjoy your game regardless how many people either enjoy it or not enjoy it on its merits and no marketing um regardless of whether it was one person or multiple people so don't let the ideal of making the game entirely by yourself stop you from making an interesting game that needs to be out there because people are probably going to forget that's going to be looking to forget about everything else anyway and remember the game better than minutia of the development process for large part and what they get to do as well is acknowledge the human cognitive bias towards focusing on the, the front name on a project think of any uh, indie dev any famous indie dev had other people supporting them in one way or another be it as a spouse making sure the house was running and people are eating as a creative partner hell even as an accountant to make sure they actually make money off the game so it's very important we acknowledge that even the people who look like they did things all by themselves still had a massive support network behind them to make it possible that that did come up in the discourse as well people asking yeah. you know can you really be called a solo developer if your wife was cleaning and taking care of the kids the whole time uh, which is definitely um applies to a yeah. lot of well-known indie developers um who you know whether it's the other people you hire in your company that keep the lights on um you know, for, for the people who are successful enough to have people that they've hired freelancers to do art or, or anything else, there there is that uncredited work to support your life and the time that you're putting into it that is just as essential to enabling you to complete that game. Yeah. Uh, and that might be that comes in a lot of different shapes and forms. And it's not to say that you should put into, into the credit everybody in your personal life into the end credits of the game, but that if you rely on them, you rely on all the other people too. And you cannot discredit any of them because while you did a lot of the intentional and direct work, it it came at the requirement of many other people and systems in your life. Oh yeah. I mean, the book authors have a right. Sorry. When it comes to the acknowledgement section, because those things still sometimes go for an entire page, maybe two pages of just people that were personally relevant to the work. So you'll see mentions of spouses and even kids, pets, what have you, in acknowledgments that are compared to surprisingly sparse credits on games. That's something we as indie devs can make part of our indie hobbyist devs, make part of our game development process is better acknowledging our support network. That would be be a fantastic trend to see. I'd love to see... um... A, a habit on game jams of people putting their spouses into the credits for letting them spend the whole 72 hours, you know, 
focused on on just this one thing and ignoring the rest of their life for a couple of days, which is a really hard thing to do. Um, yeah, I mean, if someone put a dollar sign, actually paid their spouse or other partner, or what have you, to uh, do the kind of stuff is often done to support someone in the game jam. They would be they would have a producer job title. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess. Um, well, there's a lot that that's a whole other conversation. Maybe that that producer, not just in game settings, but in everywhere, is just the most god awful vague t- uh, title that anybody could ever have. It means nothing and everything. And it's a very expansive title. Yeah. That's right. Because if you're doing practically everything in one way or another, making it all happen, then you have to have an expansive title. Yeah. So, um, what after after Anthrotari, Do you expect that your future games uh, will continue to have a similar balance in code and content. I kind of wanted to, before we wrap up the whole conversation, I want to make sure that we tie this back to our own work. Um, we kind of talked about things that we have done, so maybe we can wrap up with where where we where we head in this, what we expect. Like, you're spending a lot of time, months, a couple years now, focused oh, yeah. almost entirely on content. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like you want to do something that's more code heavy next to balance that out or is the beginning of any project provide you with enough of a spike in code work that you'll get it through your system before you get back to you know like at the next game as another um visual novel um what, what do you what do you expect or what would you think you might seek out in terms of that ratio next so much less content <laughs> i'm a little dead inside yeah that was that ended up being a much more ambitious story lengthwise than I imagined. I mean, it's a whole novel of content, but also with branching paths in management, state management, unlike your average novel, which is extra complicated. And I would definitely pare down, I would have pared it down a lot, the original game, early on, if I knew it had been this expansive. And next thing, definitely much less content heavy, because this has been an adventure. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so for like, I mean, it's it's not the first or only visual novel you've made, right? Right, but definitely larger than all the other ones combined. Times. So like the five. ratio, and that just made the ratio between the code and the content much more um, um, expressed. Is that that all? Yeah, like much. There's a lot more content. It's definitely the lesser side of development parts because the actual coding part wasn't too complicated, but the content is a lot of content. That's one reason why it's been so slow was I underestimated just how much content I was yeah. lining myself up for and committing myself to. And that has been a learning experience. Interesting. So I I think that I am trying to meander my way to um a world where I do more content work. Yeah. But I need to get there. You know, right now I'm in this phase of finishing these smaller projects that I've haven't finished in the past. Um, which I kind of need for emotional reasons, let's, mm-hmm. let's say, you know, like I, Legit. I, just, I just have to. Um, and that is a lot of code, a lot because there's games I've already designed. A lot of them have content already made. Um, and I think I'm going to stay on this route at least through this year of, of these remakes slash finishes that are almost all code. Uh, but definitely there's going to be a, a, a enough content work sprinkled in there because not all of them obviously have all the content done. Um, mm. But while I have like this huge set of diverse and completely unrelated game ideas that I had started and hadn't finished that I want to finish. And because they're all different game ideas. And we talked about this before that niche versus itch yeah. topic. Um, 
if you're making a lot of different games, then you're going to make a lot of more, a lot more, do a lot more code because yeah. every one you're going to have less code you can reuse. Whereas, if you, for example, spend your entire career making tactics games or making visual novels or making any of the same kind of genre, you're going to have more reusable stuff or maybe even reuse all of your code and just do new content for, for some people or for some projects. Yeah, um, I think of like Spiderweb Software. You know that guy's got, Definitely. he's got the game engine he made and all of his games he just is writing and doing art on on that engine um and i actually i think that i want to get there i think i want to eventually settle into um a niche but i have to satisfy all of the itches first yeah and i do want to get to the point where i've got an engine or a toolkit built up that I then use for my, my, my games and I am spending it on content. Well, I love the coding. Um, I also recognize I want to probably make games the rest of my life as a, as a hobby. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to burn out sometimes. Um, but I also know that once I get that code to a point where I'm focusing on content, then I, it sometimes it can really be hard to feel progress when it on the on the code side. You can do a lot of work and everything will look exactly the same. Yeah. One of the things I'm looking forward to is having projects where if I spend a week adding stuff, it looks like I added another week's worth of work. I Whereas, you. you know, I'm not spending time refactoring or um, two features that are visually about the same, like they have the same impact on the player. They might take ten times. One might take ten times as long to get work working than the other. Um, so I'm I'm trying to kind of make the opposite. I'm I'm doing a lot of code now, and I want to get to a more content heavy future. But I'm sort of taking a long path to get there. Understandably, yeah. It's like you, don't, you can't be sure what genre you want to niche into until you've tried a few. Oh, I know. I think I'm working my way towards Final Fantasy tactics style. Yeah. tactics games that's that's what i want to make i want to make like turn-based tactic fantasy games with with long stories that's what i want to be spending my time on yeah. i just gotta do these other things like none of the other games that i've been making are ones that like i don't want to make a sequel to to them you know that's the thing yeah. do i want to make this one game or do i want to make a series and exactly. the only thing i want to make many of are tactics games and tactics yeah. games with deep stories Oh, that makes me eager. I need to see if I got Children of the Zoro. Children of the Zoriark just came out, or just about to come out on the Switch. I need to mm-hmm. see if I have a Switch code for it, since I backed it in Kickstarter way back when. Yeah, but yeah, sounds, sounds familiar. I don't think that I've I don't think I've uh, looked into a lot. But I think I saw one or two things of it. Um, so I'm, I might check that out. Yeah, just like um, if you I'm currently out. playing my. Well, what am I playing with? Um, Fell Seal. I'm currently playing through. How do you um, spell that? Fell Seal. F E L L S E A L. Okay. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, but if you want to like review takeaways for our listeners, I could go over a few. Like one, don't fret about being a quote unquote real solo dev or quote unquote real indie dev. Your games can speak on their own terms. Be prepared to practice at multiple. Uh, skill sets, not just to try and do it yourself, but to appreciate where you can't and be able to communicate and understand, appreciate people you do bring on for their own specialized skills. And three, be ready to bring on others when you can't 
accomplish what you want to creatively and need someone else to fill that skill set you don't have. Calvin, what else comes to mind? Things you want to review? Um, I think I I I just want to cap my contribution here with if you you may have noticed or not over the last few weeks actually in our conversations, I've been making a conscious effort to refer not to game devs but as game makers. Yeah. Um, and the reasons really tie into this topic to make sure that when I'm talking about people who make games, that I'm encapsulating all of the people who make games. Um, I think you can call anybody a game dev, whether they're making the sprites or the code or writing the story. But I also know that it doesn't communicate that idea. So I, I want to make sure that all of those people are equally included and on the same footing. And I want to see more contra- more collaboration between people of those different backgrounds um, with equal respect. Because I think Definitely. that there are, there are a lot of fantastic game coders who don't have... Um, not just who don't have great art to make, but maybe, you know, would be great at the code, but just don't have the ideas. Like idea people do have value too, or sometimes they come with content, you know, they're writers or they're artists and they need somebody uh, to code that. And there's people who want to code games and they don't really have um, a game to code. That's why you see people making clones all the time because they just want to yeah. make a game. Definitely. So if we can get that equal respect for all the, the backgrounds and roles that people have, maybe we can see a lot more interesting collaboration happening because it'll happen on a more equal footing. Exactly. I know one thing my girlfriend says a lot is she's not really an idea person so much as an executor and give her something she needs, needs to be done and she'll bulldog on it until it's done. And that's incredibly valuable resource to have in your back pocket. In this case, maybe someone who can just crush stuff out as long as they know which direction to go in. That's its own skill set, Absolutely. really. Yeah. So it's been a very good chat, Calvin. Thank you for dropping in this afternoon to cover all this. Yeah, it's been a good conversation. I'm glad we got to, you know, like you said, this was um, a topic I added to our list, and I'm glad we got to it because I, I think about this all the time, and then it comes up in a lot of different ways. This is very closely tied to that itch versus niche topic that I oh, yeah. added before, and it just comes up in different flavors over and over and over again, this balance. So I was happy to talk about it. So before we go, let's uh, cover our recent media and our progress and plans. Uh, media-wise, my girlfriend and I have started watching, rather continued watching, Psycho Mob 100 Season 2, the anime. I'm quite enjoying that. It's getting pretty interesting, pretty serious. Reminds me how much I like, is it Reagan Arakaka? Arataka? I'm mispronouncing that as an anime dad. There's a number of redeeming qualities there. Um... Uh, and that's the big stuff. Other than that, Animal Crossing, uh, my girlfriend got the VR set up, set up again. So kudos to her. Looking forward to trying, finally trying out Half-Life Alec. Let you all know how it turns out. Well, for me, I finished my current book, Spellsword, which is the first in the Spellsword trilogy, and I had started with the third. So coming up next, we'll be reading the middle book, I guess, in odd order. And uh, my family has finally finished watching the Divergent series. We had seen the first one years ago. My son liked it, so we got him the trilogy for his birthday um, a couple weeks ago, and we kind of, over the last two weeks, watched all three. Uh, so that was fun. And um, haven't been doing a lot of gaming except for some occasional Overwatch. Um, I need to get back to my Final Fantasy VII remake playthrough. Um, but just hasn't really been a high priority lately for some reason. I think I'm going to get back into it soon. I'm very glad to report that 
I've been making a steady Pomodoros every single day since then. So that's seven more Pomodoros. Yay! And that's been really good for me, actually, doing the Pomodoros. It's helped me push through some otherwise stressful, um, agonizing, I don't say agonizing, but worry, just executive function, challenging work. I actually got it done bite by bite, bite by bite. So very much old, how do you eat an elephant, one bite at a time thing. It's got me made a lot of progress on one particular, Pixels. It's so much better looking now after all the new animation. I can't wait to wrap that one up. So wish me luck on that. So for myself, I've been doing a pretty good job at sticking to the plans I make for each sprint, including the last one. Uh, I did yet more refactoring work, which seems to be a constant thing because I, I do kind of a messy pass first on a lot of the implementation. Uh, but I've been working on a lot of the the implementation or really effect of how the mushroom killing the Vikings work. So previously they just kind of vanish whenever you kill them and now they actually have a fall down animation. There's kind of a particle effect because the mushrooms absorb spores from the Vikings uh, and the Viking corpse sort of fades over time. Um, part of that was also adding a sort of mycelium root system to the mushrooms so when the vikings die you only can absorb um, from them and get spores earned if they're within that mycelium network to feed off of which also adds some strategy for the the ranged attacks because you don't want to um, overdo ranged attacks and not be able to feed off of the fallen vikings so that adds a little bit of strategy that i didn't have before and that was fun to to get together um, I also spent a little bit more time pushing some stuff back up to the Pursuit Pipe Bear engine, and I split off a um, timing system from my, my last two games um, into a, a new library so that I can reuse that and share it with other people. Um, so overall, progress is still going really well. Um, this was intended as a two-month project, and I'm right now just at halfway through. So um, my plan should be to figure out how to wrap all this up through June, and I guess the next few episodes, we'll see if that goes well. Sweet. So uh, thank you all, listeners, for being with us here today. Hope you've learned something a little interesting, something you want to pass on, and look forward to hearing it. Seeing you next week. Thank you for listening to the Side Quest Completed Podcast. If you weren't subscribed, find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or at our website, sidequestcompleted.com where you can find all our episodes and an invite link to our new Discord server.